Our scripture reading comes from the book of Romans. We'll read chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Let's read God's good word together. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. A few months ago, I went to the dentist, and I don't know about you, but the way I like my dentist appointments to go is uneventfully. No surprises, nothing unexpected. And so I went, and the first thing they had me do, you know, I filled out all my paperwork or my uh, screen work, maybe we should call it. Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I, I won't say that one at 1045. That was not too good. Um, I filled all that out, and then I went and got an x-ray. This was a new machine that they had gotten since the last time I was there. And you, like, hold on and bite down, and the x-ray spins around your head. It was interesting. It was like I was getting an x-ray in the future. And so that, that was a little surprising, but that was an okay surprise for the dentist, all things considered. And so, you know, I did that, and then I went back to the room, and the hygienist started cleaning my teeth. And uh, I was just leaning back watching some morning show on TV. They have a TV in the ceiling. It's pretty cool. And uh, so I was watching it, and then my dentist came in, and uh, the dentist asked me a question that I was not expecting. It was, is this thing on? No. Drawing out the suspense. Do you have a cardiologist? Now, why is my dentist asking me that question? I'm 37 years old, no past history of uh, cardiac events, and so my answer was, no, why do you ask? <laughs> and apparently on my x-ray, it looked like there was some calcification on my carotid artery, and uh, so that got my attention. That was the kind of surprise that I was not looking for whenever I went to the dentist. I mean, mostly, I was worried about, I don't really want any cavities or root canals to come my way, uh, but uh, ar- arterial calcification, also not welcome, not on that list. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I started thinking, I said, you know, if you don't have a cardiologist, you might want to try to get an appointment with one and get that checked out. Okay. So, uh, you know, I went on with my day completely normally after that. No, my head was spinning for like the next few weeks as I thought about this. I got in touch with my primary care physician and I uh, got an ultrasound scheduled. And, but I started, you know, really thinking about well, what is going on, you know, and uh, some of it was just kind of lighthearted things, you know, am I going to be able to eat bacon anymore? right? I mean, that would be a pretty serious loss. It's something I'm not considered for the rest of my life. But then I I also started thinking, you know, my my dad died of a stroke when he was 62. And so it was like, you know, uh, is that something that I have to be? I didn't think that was, you know, that was a health concern for me, but maybe maybe it is. And and I thought about, you know, is my life going to be a lot shorter than I'd anticipated? And I started thinking about things differently. And and if it is going to be, you know, have I been making choices that make my life feel like if it does end earlier, that I feel good about it, that I feel good about where I've been. And I thought about, you know, that life insurance application that is sitting on my desk where it has been for the last year, I probably should have finished that already, right? Because <laughs> now I know about a condition or a potential condition. Anyway, I got the ultrasound and it turned out to be nothing. My, my primary care physician said I have the arteries of a five-year-old, which I think he meant in a complimentary way. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I didn't ask. But, but it ended up being nothing. But, but for those few weeks while I was waiting for that, I mean, it brought things into focus in a way that they were not 
before I walked into that office. And I started thinking, you know, what does really matter? And if my life changes in this way, what changes would I make about the way that I'm living? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because whenever we realize that our life has an end point, we live differently. And so, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. We've been in the midst of a sermon series called Unlocking Greatness. We're looking at five lessons that everyone can learn. And uh, where we started, where we started this series, is recognizing that we in our, in our culture have a comfort crisis, that we, are, we have so many modern comforts that it's really almost become bad for us, right? Our chairs are so comfortable that we don't ever get up, right? And, and so we're, the sedentary lifestyles that we're living are causing new health concerns. We, uh, we can be at any temperature we want. We can keep it at 68 degrees, even when it's 105 degrees outside. Now, for the most part, I feel like I've talked to a dozen of you this last week whose air conditioning <laughs> units have gone out, and, and that's a reminder that you're not in control. But for the most part, we can control that. We can keep it warm in the winter and cool in the summer, just exactly the way that we want it. We can almost escape sweating altogether as long as you don't spend too long uh, getting to your car, or it doesn't take too long. And so we've got all of these modern comforts that are themselves causing problems. And so what we've been looking at with this series is really a way back, a way back. And the way back are these five lessons or hard truths of life. And these come from ancient cultures that they would teach their young people and they're lessons that we've largely lost. And so here's where we've been. The first thing that we started with was recognizing that life is hard. Uh, whenever we think that life, everything should go the way that we want it to, we're setting ourselves up um, for failure. We're setting ourselves up to be upset all the time because life is hard. It does not go the way that we want it to. Sometimes you go to your dentist and all you want is clean teeth and you find out you need to get an arterial um, ultrasound. You know, things don't go the way that we want them to. And, and so life is hard, but we'll find rest for our souls if we follow Jesus in doing God's will. It, it will be hard, but, but if we follow Jesus in doing God's will, we will find rest. And so this is what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And this is what uh, Father Richard Rohr says, life is hard and we all experience pain, but if we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it in some form. If we don't deal with the pain that's been inflicted upon us, we will hand it down to our children, to our friends, to our coworkers. We, we will share that um, whether we want to or not. And so it's absolutely vital that we recognize that life is hard so that we can then confront our pain so that God can transform it. So that's week one. Week two, we talked about the fact that you are not that important, but your name is written in heaven by God Almighty. And everything in our culture tells us we should, we should seek importance. We should want other people to think that we're important. And if we do that, we end up living lives that are completely self-centered. If we're focused on our own importance, then we're always going to be miserable because there's always someone who's more important than we are. And so this is what Jesus' disciples actually dealt with this same thing. Jesus had sent out 70 of his followers, and he'd given them power, and they were able um, to, do, to do amazing things. And yet this is what he said to them. He said, see, I, have, I give you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't mess with snakes um, unless I absolutely have to. And yet power to tread on, power over scorpions, power over all enemies, I mean, that's... That's some pretty awesome stuff. And yet, nevertheless, this is what Jesus says, Do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names 
are written in heaven. He says the, the important thing about you isn't the power that you have. It's not what you can do. It's not your achievements. It's the fact that your name is written in heaven by God. And so our importance then, our, op- our importance is in our openness to being used by God. Nothing that we can claim or defend is our own. It's not about our resume. It's about our openness to being used. It's not about our own greatness. It's about God's greatness. And so that's week two. Then in week three, we talked about our life is not about us. Your life is not about you, but you're part of something much bigger. And so this is what Paul tells the, the people, um, the Colossian church. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. And it's tempting for us to, to think our life is all about us, to, to focus on our own importance. But, uh, but unless we lay down our self-importance, we'll remain blinded to God's plan to bless the world. And we won't be able to be a part of it because we're too focused on ourselves. And so we recognize that our life is not about us. It's about something much bigger. And then week four, you are not in control. And if your AC has gone out this week, you know you are not in control. There is nothing that you can do unless you happen to, uh, to uh, be, uh, know how to, do, uh, to be a technician for that kind of work, right? You're entirely at the mercy of when they can fit you in. We are not in control, but God will take care of you. And this is what Jesus says. He says, do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles, people who are not part of the faith, who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus says, don't worry about all these things, about what you'll eat, about what you'll drink, but seek God's kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. This is what Father Richard Rohr says about the illusion of control. He says, when you set yourself up to think you deserve, expect, or need something to happen, you are setting yourself up for constant unhappiness. It is a terrible way to live. But if you've ever been there, you know, you know when if, if something's been denied you that you feel like you deserve, that, that's a tough feeling. And whenever we feel entitled to things, we set ourselves up to feel that way all the time. And so we recognize that we're not in control, and yet God will take care of us. And so what do we do? We, we practice surrendering to God. And, and surrender, you know, that's kind of a dirty word in our culture, but what it is, it's a quiet willingness to trust that you are really loved, which then enables you to be used as a conduit of God's love and blessing to others because you're safe in God's hands, because you know that you can trust God. And so that's where we've been these last few weeks, and uh, today we're going to talk about an uncomfortable reality. In fact, it's, it's one thing that we can all count on, but which is also something that we are desperate to deny. You are going to die. Welcome to church. I'm Pastor Brandon Blackston. I know you're so glad that you came today. We've got an uplifting message, but it's true. You are going to die. Every single one of us, that is true for every single one of us. There's nothing we can do to change that. And, uh, and yet we really try to. We really try our best to, to delay it, to avoid it, to, to avoid thinking about it, and to deny it. This is what Father Richard Rohr says. He says, death in any form is the great human enemy. A man constructs much of his life to avoid it, to delay it, and to deny it. And yet, no matter how much time, no matter how much energy that we spend on that, mortality is a part of our very nature. It's not something that we can change. It's something that we have to recognize. Because whenever we deny death, we're denying reality. 
We're saying something that's fundamental to, to our lives, that something that's fundamental to the way that the world works is not part of that. And so it's something that, that we really are, are try to basically deny that the world works the way that it does. And uh, we're not the first to have struggled with this. Jesus' disciples struggled with this as well, and particularly they struggled with accepting that Jesus himself would die. They could not accept that he would die, no matter how many times he told them. And so we see this, that three times in a row, Jesus predicts his own death and tells them, this is how it has to be, and three times they, they deny or ignore it. And so this is what we read in Mark chapter 8. Um, then Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said that all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside, and what did Peter do? He began to rebuke him. Now, that's, uh, that's biblical for gave him a talking to. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think if I were talking to the Lord, like maybe rebuking is not the tone that I would strike. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, give it to Peter. He's audacious. But, uh, but he basically said, look, that, I know you think you're going to die. That is ridiculous. And, uh, and so he starts denying it. But what does Jesus say to him? Turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's uh, not a name that is fun to be called, <laughs> imagine particularly by Jesus. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So what did Peter do? He, he tried to deny this reality that Jesus was telling him. He's like, no, that can't be right. And Jesus said, basically, you're, you're you're putting your mind on things that aren't the things of God, but are on human things. You're in denial. And so they went on, they continued traveling, and just a little bit later, this is what happened. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. So he tells them this hard truth again. And, uh, and what happened, they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, I don't know if this has happened to you, but have you ever been, whenever you were uh, living with your parents, or if you still are, um, you've been watching TV or playing video games, and your mom calls something down the hallway, and you didn't precisely hear every single word that she said, like there was a little bit of enunciation that wasn't totally clear, and it sounded a little bit like, go take out the trash now, but you're not 100% sure and you're afraid to ask, because there's plausible deniability, right? I don't know that's what she said, so I'll just wait until I'm 100% sure. I, I kind of wonder, now this isn't in the Bible, but I kind of wonder if that's what's going on here, right? Like, Jesus sounded like he said he was going to die. That can't be right. That would be really uncomfortable if that were true. I, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that, you know? I mean, that's what we do. That's what we do whenever we're facing death. Like, this is something I don't really want to think about. I'm just going to set it over here, and, and I'll have plenty of time to get to that eventually. And, and again, this is what happened. They, they continued traveling on, and, and they, um, as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. Jesus took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit upon him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And yet they didn't want to hear it. But here's the thing. Until we embrace our mortality, we're in danger of wasting our lives. We're in danger of denying the fact that we do have a finite time 
to do the things that we most want to do, the things that are most important, to care about the people who are most important to us. And if we deny that, it's easy to lose our whole lives to doom scrolling or to Netflix or to just messing around playing video, whatever your preferred method of, uh, of wasting time is. We don't actually get to the things that are most important. It's not unlike the fact that if you're a parent, you know that one day your children are going to move out. And you can live in denial of reality, but if you do that, then whenever that day comes, there's going to be a lot that you wish you would have said, a lot that you wish you would have done. You live differently whenever you realize there's an end point. And so really what we have to learn to do then, as uncomfortable as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, and if you're uncomfortable talking about this, I'm, I'm with you. This, this was not a one that I was like, I want to deliver this message. You are going to die. It, it's, something, it's hard. It's hard for me too, and it's something that we have to learn to face. It's something we have to learn to embrace our mortality, and so this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us the wise know that their days are numbered. If, if we are wise, we know this, and, and we incorporate that into the way that we live. And so, um, so this is the prayer from Psalm 90. Teach us to count our days, or teach us to number our days, that we may gain a wise heart. Because whenever we recognize that the number, that we don't know the number, but we know that there is a number, we can live differently. We can live wisely whenever we do that. And so this can feel kind of, you know, really negative, really morbid, but, but really rather than being morbid or negative, embracing our mortality helps us to live fully, to live fully in the time that God has given us. We recognize that, that we are finite, that we are given a particular amount of time, but whenever we recognize that, it, it can actually transform things. And so this is what uh, writer Oliver Berkman says. He says, it is only by facing our finitude, the fact that we are finite, that we are mortal, it's only by facing our finitude that we can step into a truly authentic relationship with life. We can actually live an authentic life. Because as, as I found um, in a... In, in a I guess a, a short period of time, whenever I thought that I was, uh, you know, potentially going to have a stroke at any time, at least in my more dramatic moments, death focuses our perception like nothing else can. It totally changes the way that we perceive things. And so uh, we had, a few weeks ago, we shared a video with uh, Jenny Herzberger of our, sh- of our church sharing about um, her experience with cancer. She's also um, um, talked about um, what that, what that, um, what facing mortality, how that has helped her and, and how, um, and the difficulty of that. And so I want to show you that part of the video now. Take a look. In two weeks, we're going to talk about uh, lesson five, which yeah. is you're going to die. Yeah. Every, everybody, you know, death and Edmund, 100%, yeah. right? That right. comes to all of us. But... As a cancer survivor, and then having that scare six years later, you have a different experience of that than most. You've kind of seen a window into that, and I, I would I would guess that that brings you some sense of clarity, priority. Those things, but those are guesses. I haven't had the same experience as you. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. Like ha- having that up close meeting with your mortality, I think it does. Um, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because. You know, as a cancer survivor, there's always just that worry that looms, you know, on your shoulder. Um, but it's also a blessing. Even that is a blessing in itself because it it forces you to make decisions that you wouldn't have done. It forces you to do the hard things or to embrace the hard things because you know, like it's not it's not going to be the end. I mean, it, it's temporary, whatever it is. And um, you know, if you think of like when I had worried about um, having cancer that came back in 2018. It's amazing how quickly 
the stress that's happening at work or the stress that's happening in your family life or whatever it is, how you're like, I would take that any day. I'll give it to me. Take it. I'll take it. Just if I could just stay, you know? Yeah. And so I think that makes a big difference um, to put things into perspective because you're like, well, if that's, if I can have that mentality thinking that death is looming, why can't I have that mentality right here, right now and do those hard things that, you know, you wouldn't have done just because you're afraid or because they are scary and, you know, so. Thank you so much for talking with us. We love you. We love your family. We're proud of you. And um, I can't wait to see uh, what else God's going to do with us um, in the future because we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Thanks. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing your story, uh, for the vulnerability of that, and for the, the faithfulness that you've responded and the inspiration that you've given us. And I think that, that question is such a good one. And, and really, what, what I hope that we all walk away from um, as we're asking this question is, you know, why can't I have that mentality now? Do I have to wait until a scare to live differently? And uh, I hope not. I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to get to my next, you know, whenever that is, the next bad doctor's appointment that I have where I get bad news and say, oh, you know what? Whenever I was 37, I had that scare and I didn't change anything. And, and yet it's easy to do. And so if we can wrap our minds around that, if we can learn to embrace the fact that, that we do have a limited number of days, embracing our death can free us for a life that is really life. We can actually experience fully the life that God has given us. And so after, after, um, after the second time where Jesus predicts his death and his followers, whenever they're, you know, like, I don't really know what he's talking about. I don't really want to know. I'm just going to let that one go. Um, this is what, uh, what Jesus did next. He said, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? And this is really the truth that's at the center of the gospel. It's the truth that we've been looking at in different ways for the last five weeks of recognizing that, that all of these ways we try to deny the, the reality that life is hard, whenever we try to make ourselves comfortable, we actually are in danger of forfeiting our life, gaining the whole world and, prof, and, and, gaining the whole world and forfeiting our life. And maybe you know people who have experienced this, who, who have gotten this, you know. You know someone who is at the top of their field, and, and they are wealthy, you know, meeting all of their goals financially. And, uh, and all they had to sacrifice was every moment with their family. Do you know anyone like that? Do you think that's worth it? I hope not. It's not. And yet we're in danger whenever we're seeking success, whenever we're seeking the things of the world, whenever we're seeking worldly things, of sacrificing the things that matter most, the things that in the end matter very little. And, and so we have to practice dying to the things of this world. We have to practice dying to selfishness and offer our lives up so that Jesus can give us the life that is really life. And in fact, we practice this. Christians practice this. We, we practice dying before our physical death. And uh, if, you've, if you've been to a baptism here that's been by immersion, um, you actually see whenever, whenever Pastor Mark lowers someone down into the water, it's almost an enactment of going down into a coffin, of, of being buried with Christ. And whenever they rise back up, they're, they're dying to the old self and rising into new life with Christ. And this is how the Apostle Paul t describes it in the, book of the, Ro uh, the, the letter to R the Romans. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. And, and so we practice this. We, in, there's a sense in which whenever we're baptized or whenever we're confirmed and put our trust in Christ, whenever we decide to follow him, that, that we are dying, that our old self is dying so that we can take on new, new life that he offers and we can become alive with Christ. And so this, this is how Paul finishes that, that paragraph. He says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And that's the promise that, that undergirds the entirety of the gospel. Jesus promises that not even death can separate us from his love. As we started this message, we read from Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death can separate us from Christ's love. And what he told his disciples as he was preparing for his own death um, um, the night before he um, went to the cross, he told them that he had prepared a place for them to live with him forever. And that's the promise that he gives to all of us. He has prepared a place for us to be with him forever. In John chapter 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am... There you may be also. And that's the promise. That no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens in our death, that we can be with him forever. That's the promise. And the really beautiful thing that's even better is that we don't have to wait until death to experience it. We can experience that life right now. And that's why we practice dying to the ways of death. That's why we come together on Ash Wednesday and remember our mortality, because he offers us that life today. And uh, this is how, um, how medieval writer Catherine of Siena puts it. She said, it is heaven all the way to heaven, that we can actually experience heaven as we're journeying with God throughout this life and begin to experience the life of heaven now as we will experience it fully when that time comes. This is how Father Richard Ward puts it. He says, yes, we are going to die, but we have already been given a kind of inner guarantee and promise right now that death is not final, and it takes the form of love. Whenever we experience the love of Christ, whatever that, wherever you're experiencing that, we're experiencing a foretaste of what that life with him will be like, a life that has no end. That's the promise he gives all of us. That's what he invites us to. And we see in his example, we see in his love, really what we've been getting, driving toward this entire sermon series, what true greatness looks like. Because in the end, true greatness is not about power. It's not about all the things that you can achieve, how long your resume is, how well regarded you are. It's not about your wealth and, and how much you've accumulated. The path to greatness comes through discomfort, through doing hard things, through humility, humility recognizing that we're not that important. Through other-centeredness, maybe a better way of saying that is kingdom-mindedness, recognizing that there's something much larger going on beyond ourselves, of surrender, of letting go of control, and death. 
recognizing that nothing can separate us from Christ. All of those things are the things that actually lead to greatness. And, and this is the thing that we struggle with, that even his disciples, the people who, who were present in hearing his teaching, struggled with. Um, whenever, just after he predicted his death, they, it said they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about what? Who was the greatest? Now, I, I mean, it's not that surprising, because Christians do lots of things that are, you know, not that Christ-like sometimes. And yet still you'd think the disciples would have it figured out better than we do, and, and they don't. They're arguing about who, who was the greatest. And what did Jesus tell them? He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be what? Last. And the servant of all. That's what greatness looked like. To be truly great is to live fully in the love of God. Not to seek power or anything else for yourself, but to seek to love God and the people around you. And maybe the place that we see this most fully is, is at the Last Supper. As we read about it in John chapter 13, this is what we see. Now before the festival, the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And still Jesus chose, this is a side note, still Jesus chose to love even Judas to the end. And during the supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet with a towel tied around him. Whenever Jesus knew that he had a very short time remaining in his life, what did he choose to do? He did not seek comfort He didn't ask people to glorify him, to tell him how great he was. He didn't seek his own power. He got on his knees and washed people's feet. He loved the people that God had given him to love to the end. And when we learn to number our days, whenever we learn to hold them in light of the eternity that God has promised, we can seek true greatness that comes with serving the ones that God has given us to serve. And so here's the challenge for this week, and this one is tough. Um, our action step for this week is I want to challenge you to meditate on your death each day this week because it gives us an insight that we can't get any other way. And so I'm going to give you an example, and you can, you can kind of meditate through this if you'd like. If you're like, I don't know about that, I don't know if I want to do that, then you can just listen and, uh, and check it out. But, but here's a, a sample of kind of a, a practice of way that you can do that. So, so if you want, you can just sit where you are and listen. You can also close your eyes, take a breath, and kind of enter into a, a prayerful mindset. But, but reflect on these words. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens a time to be born, and a time to die. And then consider the following. I do not know when death will come, but I know it will come eventually to all creatures, including me. Now imagine yourself on your deathbed. Ask yourself these questions. Have I loved God in my life? Have I loved others? Has my life been a blessing to others? Imagine your funeral. Imagine your loved ones making preparations for your funeral, referring to you as the late so-and-so. And then reflect on what people would say about you. Are you happy with what they might say? 
what might you need to change now? Change what will be said then. And then conclude with resolution by resolving, I will live my life fully in the time God has given me. My life is a precious gift, and I will not waste it. I will do all I can to live my life like Jesus, a life of love. And whenever we do that, we will have the life that is really life, both now and eternity. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the gift of life, and we ask that you would teach us to number our days so that we can have hearts of wisdom, so that we can live fully in the time that you've given us, so that we can love you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength, so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And whenever that time comes for us to leave this world and be united with you, we do so with joy and no regret. We thank you for Jesus for his example, that he shows us what greatness truly looks like, that he taught us how to love one another, and that he taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.